0: Welcome to Lawyer Up. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here with my law partner, Jack DeRora. We're coming to you from Columbus, Ohio and the uh, OSU campus. Jack, in some cultures, if you steal something, they'll cut off your hand. That seems to me to be a pretty good deterrent from stealing. Now if we think about a brutal murder in our country, that you'll get the death penalty, why is that not a deterrent to committing crimes?
1: You know, I I can't say exactly, but I suspect that one reason is that between conviction and actual execution, it's not unusual for there to be about a 20-year period uh, that consists of a number of legal challenges, most of which take place in federal court under what's called habeas corpus. Now, I suppose if we were going to immediately take a murderer and hang him in the public square the next day, perhaps there would be some deterrence, but in the situation we have, there isn't.
0: Our guest today uh, probably knows as much about this subject as anybody. He was a Ohio uh, attorney general, a Republican, uh, probably uh, was uh, at one point supportive of the death penalty, would be my guess. His name is Jim yes. Petro. Welcome,
2: Jim. It's good to be with you. I, I never like to talk about the death penalty, but I know that that's a necessity sometimes. So, and again, I had, to, to be honest with you, it's been an important part of my life, both good and bad, um, simply because, you know, the, the uh, 1970, 1968, um, U.S. Supreme Court, was it or 78, I'm sorry, U.S. Supreme Court decision, uh, which
1: I think it's it aware. was I think it was that, Furman V Furman v Georgia.
2: That was it. Uh that that did away with the death penalty for a time. Uh and then reinstated it. And um we then adopted a death penalty at the state level in nineteen eighty one.
1: Well let's let's not gloss over that. There were, in other words that ruling from the Supreme Court in the Furman case basically was broad enough to determine that I suppose every death penalty statute in every state in the union was unconstitutional. States had to rewrite them, but you were part of the team that wrote the statute for Ohio, weren't you?
2: I was. I was on the subcommittee of the uh, House Judiciary Committee, which ultimately wrote the bill. That subcommittee was about 10 members and then That part of it was done and we basically finished our work. We went to the full Judiciary Committee in the House, did our own work on that, ultimately adopted the bill at very close vote in the House. Then it went to the Senate and went through the same process.
1: Wasn't retired Supreme Court Justice Pfeiffer part of that subcommittee? Certainly was. Okay, so you had to be a proponent of the death penalty in nineteen eighty one was. I know you're not a proponent today. When did the conversion occur and how did it occur?
2: Well, you know, the ver- the conversion was occurring even wh- while I was supervising executions. The attorney general, for one reason or another, was given the role of a supervision role in, in the execution process. And so, with the first execution that came back, I was AG. Bob Taft was um, governor, and obviously he had the ability to uh, to um, make a make a determination not to go forward with the execution. I had the ability to advocate not to go forward with an execution. Um, I monitored the executions. Nineteen of them in those days, hmm. uh, where I would sit in a room with um, a camera on the execution chamber and an audio, where I could listen to every step it was being taken. In one occasion, um, they could not find a vein on the on the defendant about to be executed. They couldn't get a vein, and taking about twenty minutes, stabbing this guy all over. Finally, I said, you know, we've reached the stage where we just can't keep it up. And so we have to stop. And so that was the only occasion within the, the realm of those 19 executions where I actually used my authority as attorney general to stop it. And it did stop. And his, ultimately, interestingly, his um, with, through the judicial process, one judicial process, his uh, death penalty was suspended and he was uh, given life in prison without parole. And so he never was executed. I forget the name of the man. But again, it was one of those things where it's just you couldn't keep doing what was being done, not getting the job done and not ultimately have to stop.
1: up. You know, you and I were talking before we went on air and I think the name of the gent you're referring to is Rommel Broom. Yes,
2: I think and, you're right.
1: And if I have that name right, he actually died in prison. And I think that's true. And you'll be interested to know this. We had on this podcast a few months back a doctor who examined him after that boxed, botched mm-hmm. execution named Jonathan Groner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was an interesting yes. discussion.
2: i bet. I'll bet that would be very interesting. Those days were not favorite days of mine. Um, It was really a depressing morning, usually. Uh, I had a circumstance where um, my wife and I were having coffee and a little breakfast before I was leaving for the office. And she said to me, you seem really down today. I said, yeah, it's an execution day. And it really was sitting through that process, monitoring it the way I'm doing now. I mean, watching it. Uh, with a camera that was placed both in the chamber and in the area outside the chamber I could watch every step of the process um, it was not a it was not a pleasant day
0: Jim the 19 executions you oversaw were they all
2: lethal injection yes they were all lethal injection and one of them one of the 19 was never completed as, as I've said before hmm. uh, they couldn't find the vein After a long time of poking the man, um, I asked that it be stopped. It isn't uh,
0: that rare that uh, executions are stopped at the last minute, so to speak, uh, Mm -hmm. either by a governor or an order from the federal court. Were you ever involved in that situation where it was, hey, hey, wait, we got an order. We, We need to
2: stop. I don't believe so. You know, and you think, well, why wouldn't you remember that? Nineteen of them. I begin to think that they were all fairly routine. Uh, I would go into a there was a special room, a, a, you know, a very small um, room that had access to all the technology I needed to watch it. And I would go in the room, um, sit down, and basically watch the process um, from the beginning of the defendant coming out of the jail cell. Over to the death penalty area, so there was kind of a waiting area, and there was actually an execution room that he'd be taken into and be strapped down on a gurney. Um, And I would monitor the whole process, and only once did I stop. And that's because they just couldn't get it done.
0: I want. I'm sorry, Jack. Jim, I got tons of questions about the process. I I always am fascinated by it. Uh, In those uh, times that you monitored, uh, any women and were most of the uh, people executed uh, minorities? What what was your uh, anecdotal experience?
2: No, I believe that the majority were not minority. Hmm. There were a number of minority, but I believe the majority of the 19 or so, I think it was 19, uh, I think the majority might have been um, white, maybe 13 of them. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where you keep a file. When you leave office, you leave that file because it has documents that really belong to the state and the attorney general's office. Leave those in a, a, a large file cabinet that was the the remnants of my service as attorney general, and that became a big part of it. So I did not bring any of that information with me. Uh, I'm just going from memory, and at 72 years old, memory is not quite like it used to be anyway. Oh, but I, there's no doubt I I remembered the instances. I did not like them, but it's part of the job. Difficult.
1: Not exactly the kind of uh, record you want to review on a Friday night with your wife. You know no. your, the death, no, it was, the death sentences. I want to go back though. You were a proponent. I was. So it took me a while to become a proponent. Well, how um, are you? How are you wrestling though? You're wrestling with this notion that I want the death penalty. But, oh, my goodness, every day I've got to oversee the process, I'm torn emotionally. How are you resolving that?
2: No, I didn't really know that. Okay. Um, my first office was as auditor of state.
1: Um, oh, I know uh, that. But, I mean, as you, when you are the attorney general, though, you're presiding, not presiding, but you're monitoring these. Well,
2: I, and the interesting thing about it, is because I was in the legislature and voted for it or I became auditor of state, then I was labeled as pro-death penalty. Mm-hmm. And in the course of, obviously you always have, with significant decisions when you're in public office, you're always going to have misgivings, so to mm-hmm. speak. You're going to ask yourself, do I really want to see that kind of activity occur? And I did. But I always came back to the fact that it is not inappropriate for the state or the federal government to make and follow with those decisions established by law. And so, you know, I was a supporter. Although I was a supporter, it was never easy. It was never something uh, before I became state auditor before I became Attorney General, I would watch these and I'd be certainly as Attorney General, I'd be engaged at that point. There were not instances that were pleasant for me because I had voted for the bill. We did not have a death penalty in Ohio when I became a member of the legislature. The Bill came first to the House then to the Senate and came back for ratification in the House in a new form. And in each one of those steps, I voted in favor of it. And so, in my own mind, I was part of the process that created in Ohio a new death penalty. And someday I knew that death penalty would begin again. It took many years because you've got to go through all those convictions that occur after 1981, where an indictment with the death penalty specifications were permitted. And the law had to be in effect time that the act occurred. So we really didn't see a death penalty taken on until eight or nine years later, at which point I was already state um, attorney general. Jim,
0: can you talk a little bit about the um, attorney general's role in these cases? Most of these Death penalty uh, cases result from probably a county prosecutor convicting the person and then multiple appeals, both at the state and federal level. Uh, what was what is the attorney general's role in that? And if if they do have one, can you talk about the cost? Because I think that's one of the big uh, uh, you know, reasons a lot of people are against the death penalty. It's just so expensive to put somebody to death.
2: And all of that is absolutely correct the cost of litigating it, I mean, let's face it, a death penalty case is litigated and litigated and litigated. It probably takes 20 years all through the litigation process because you begin with a conviction and then an appeal and then an appeal to the, to a, a higher court, the US the Ohio Supreme Court, and then it would go uh, to federal court and go through the appeal process there um and that federal court process is um it's it's a whole different process it's basically uh uh, you're bringing the action based on uh, 1983 uh you know um uh, a whole process under federal statute that is different than the process under state statute that takes years and years and years and uh, when i was undergoing the process of my first hands-on execution engagement as attorney general. I believe that man had been convicted maybe 20 years before. And so it took a long, long time to get to where we were. And so
0: people um, might understand, too, that oftentimes the um, person who's convicted is uh, represented in all of those appeals by a state-appointed lawyer, so the state's are paying for that, and yes. then of course the you know prosecutor or the attorney general's office is uh, still uh, prosecuting, so the state's paying for all that. Did you have any hard numbers on those cases uh, that you can remember to this day that what what the cost might have been? You know,
2: um, I have no hard numbers. I know, and we often talked about it. But it was quite a bit more expensive to actually go through the process and ultimately undertake the taking of a human life, killing them, executing them, was more expensive than just incarcerating them for the rest of their natural life.
1: It's really, that's really a counterintuitive thought. Most, most people would just be bewildered at that thought, but that's that's now what the studies indicate.
2: Countless times, people would say to me in the Q&A of a little open forum where I might be a speaker, they'd say, well, I mean, doesn't it make sense you're not going to house a guy for 30 years in prison uh, when his his crime was so um, at the level that he should be uh, actually suffer the ultimate consequence of, of execution. And I say, don't talk about saving money, because that process doesn't save money. The process of executing is more costly than the process of incarcerating for 30 or 40 years. Make that clear. Uh, it's not cheaper.
0: Did you have the opportunity to talk to the um... Victims or the victims' families uh, during that time, and was was there any solace in in you know the the retribution that uh, you know I guess some people seek? In every
2: execution, it was arranged where I would have a a phone conversation with the victim's family or someone close to the victim that became the person who was essentially the contact point and I would call and explain what was going to happen 10 o'clock in the morning that day and uh, talk about justice and this is what we've established by law in the state of Ohio as justice and they would hear me out they would again sometimes it was a spouse a child it was a member of the family usually usually it might have been occasional it was just someone very close to the individual and he'd been in that person had been involved, she, she, in this case, and uh, they were given the option of having an opportunity to speak with the attorney general who would administer the actual steps that lead up to the execution. And I would have that conversation. So in each case, I believe I had a conversation with the, uh, the family of the victim who was the victim of the, of the crime perpetrator who was being executed. And only on one occasion, there was only one family member surviving, and that individual said, you know, I just don't think I can handle it. I would, you know, not necessarily would like to have a conversation with the Attorney General, (laughs) which is fine with me. But uh, I had a lot of, uh, in the other 18 instances, I had a fairly lengthy 10, 15-minute conversation. And uh, it was with the family member closest the victim of the perpetrator of the crime who was being
1: executed. Jim, I'd like to change the course of the conversation a little. We now have a bill pending in the House to repeal the death penalty, and people in the know seem to think that it'll be this legislative term when the death penalty is repealed. We're finally getting some momentum. I'm very pleased that that step is being taken. So let's talk a little inside baseball here for a minute. I think most people would say, yeah, it's the Republicans who like the death penalty. I mean, at least that's sort of what people think. Why is I think it? I there's, Why, there's some
2: truth to that. Why is um, that? The, uh, the the actual votes, you know, when when the death penalty was readopted in 1981, I was on the committee, the Judiciary Committee. Um The number of Democrats on the committee who voted against it considerably more than the number of Republicans. I think the same was true with the overall vote in the House and the overall vote in the Senate and the Senate committee. The uh, passage of the bill across the spectrum of the General Assembly committees and the floor votes was driven more by Republicans than by Democrats. Well, many Democrats ultimately voted for the bill. In
1: both chambers. But why is it more of a Republican issue? What's in it for the Republicans?
2: You know, that's a very good question that I can't answer very easily. I think Republicans having a conservative mantle. They're thought to be tougher on crime, less um, concerned about ultimate fairness and justice, ultimate concern about the risk of injustice when compared to the advocacy of Democrats. It's kind of hard to plan it on one party versus another, but I think. If you were to look across the country in the uh, legislatures of every state, you'd probably find more Republicans supporting the death penalty than you would Democrats.
1: You know, I had a friend point out to me that it's almost antithetical to republic to the republican stat stance on government that is republicans like small government but yes. here they here they are entrusting the government to get it right by executing people
2: yes that's that comes a lot of questions come from that you're absolutely right
1: so what does a gop have to lose if it wakes up one day and says maybe we're wrong maybe this isn't well, the right idea
2: i have since not being in office, I have made the point that I no longer support the death Um, in part because, you know, one of the arguments was, you know, it's, it's ultimate fairness, and it saves the state money. But what really occurs is it's not fair because there's so many factors that can ultimately result in a death penalty that that holds itself firm as the penalty to be undertaken all the way through the appeal process in other words some people can be convicted of a of a death penalty crime and ultimately break through and not sentence to death but others based on jurisdiction you know where in the state it may have occurred others uh, we'll get a jury that won't give a death penalty result. Um, I saw that in my days as attorney general. I saw that frequently where a uh, conviction would occur and the jury would not find a death penalty, even though it was a horrendous uh, crime. But that region, that county may not have had that was that willing to execute. And so you wouldn't get a jury that was unanimously going to vote to execute the defendant in that region. I mean, literally, um, I don't want to name the counties, but I could pick counties where they were not likely to uh, adopt, to pass a death penalty. And then there were other counties where they were, going to jump and pass that death penalty as quickly as they could. Jim, am I correct that
0: uh, these county prosecutors throughout uh, the state of Ohio have the discretion to bring uh, charges that uh, could result in a death penalty and then, you know, on the other side, bring charges that wouldn't result in a death
2: penalty? Ultimately, at our level, um, the prosecutor is the final determiner. Um, In these cases now, he can basically say, I'm not going to make this determination. I'm presenting this case to the jury, and the jury makes this determination. But the prosecutor does not have to ask for the death penalty. And if the prosecutor does not, the jury can't undertake the death penalty, where it has not been sought by the prosecution. So ultimately, it comes down to, to the prosecutor. That's a
1: powerful
0: card sometimes, I bet, to play by the prosecutor because it's probably easier to get a plea agreement if uh, the person uh, it can spend the rest of their life in prison as opposed to facing the death penalty. Uh, right. How do prosecutors feel about the death penalty in your experience?
2: I would say there were a significant majority of prosecutors who felt because it was the law, That if the, the crime was of such a level that the law was being adhered to and initiated as part of the indictment on the part of the prosecutor, then the prosecutor basically felt, it's not my decision ultimately. Ultimately, I'm following what the statute provides and what the people in my community think be adhered to as the law of the state. And then if the determination by a jury is to undertake steps that then go to the death penalty, then it's it's out of my hands. As we know, there's a whole length of appeals and processes. Uh, there's an argument that I made several times that um, there was there was the prospect of uncertainty as to whether or not there's a risk of a wrongful conviction. And I made the point, even to prosecutors, who ultimately agreed with me so that the death penalty was not sought or if, if it was, and I mean, the prosecutor would have to then withdraw the death penalty and instead ask for life in prison without parole that happened a number of times I did not even want to mention the counties but there were counties prosecutors very very well-meaning in this regard and then just said um, this is not a decision I should make a decision that it has to be made by a jury I'll give them that option but it's up to the jury and that was a, a reasonable thing also
0: well, our system is based on the um, adversary system. So you have uh, very high-quality prosecutors, and when they go after somebody, there's a good likelihood of of conviction. And um, so uh, sometimes juries get it wrong. Uh, Jack mm-hmm. and I do sure. mostly civil work, and uh, oftentimes when we lose, we think the jury got it wrong. So, <laughs> uh, And sometimes oh, the yeah. courts agree with us. Um, I've
2: seen cases, and I was never— much of a defense lawyer, although I did some defense work when I was in private practice. Um, And there's no question I saw juries get it wrong. Heck, I saw juries get it wrong as an observer um, maybe getting ready to to handle the appeal down the road. And uh, I was concerned about that. Um, I actually when I was, I started out The late George Smith, mm-hmm. wonderful lawyer, prosecutor, judge. He was my first employer as a lawyer. Passed mm. the bar. I actually from Cleveland went to Case Law School. Um, my wife and I were just married, just before we finished. I finished law school. We got married, and um, I had come to meet George Smith at a couple of different political events talking about running for attorney general. But he was, at the time, he was uh, the prosecuting attorney for Franklin County. And um, I was talking to him one day and I said, you know, I'm just getting ready to take the bar exam. I'll get that and so he you're gonna pass it, aren't you? I said, well, sure, i uh, hopefully. And I did, I didn't have any problem. But he said, well, if you're interested in being a prosecutor, come and see me. And I did. And he hired me. And so that was, and again, I was not a Columbus person, although I'd gone to Columbus to college, near Columbus in Granville, Ohio. I was a graduate of Denison University. My wife's a graduate of Denison. And so in those days, when you're in college, even though I'm a Clevelander, my wife was from, from Tiffin, Ohio, you kind of get used to the Columbus area because you're going to college not far away. Although in those days, and it took an hour to get from Granville to Columbus, now you do it 25 minutes. But um, I, I got to know Columbus and like Columbus. And, so when I, and I was just married and my wife liked Columbus. So we, you know, I went to see George Smith, he said, you're hired. And I. that was my first job out of law school.
1: Let's go back to the idea of prosecutors deciding that a case should be a capital case How often is that decision a matter of just playing to the crowd, so to speak?
2: My experience with prosecutors I've worked with, that doesn't count every prosecutor in the state, but prosecutors I've I've worked with, they took the responsibility very, very seriously. Prosecutors that I, you know, George Smith being the first one, Ron O'Brien being a colleague of mine, and then he became Prosecuting attorney in in Franklin County, and others that I came to know, I have great respect for because they had great respect for the concept of justice. And you know, I, I had cases with uh, with Ron O'Brien who, sought the death penalty, but said, you know, it's it, it's a train that doesn't stop very easily. And in this case, well, I think he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't think we want to pursue the death penalty in this. And There were, there were fine, fine prosecutors who reached, reached out in cases like that and made a decision not to pursue it just in the event that they could be wrong.
0: If we consider that there are um, wrongful convictions, and I think we'll all agree there are, then there must be-
2: we, we, And I've been, as you know, engaged in that through a book my wife and I wrote together, uh, through a number of programs I've been involved in. Wrongful conviction does happen; it really
0: does. And I know our Supreme Court has a task force uh, that that's uh, trying to um, uh, figure out how to how to minimize wrongful convictions. But if we yes. all accept that that's uh, the truth, and there must be wrongful executions, there have been, I'm sure. I, I would think so too. So a tough question for you, Jim, is: Is uh, any of your 19 ever come back where it was decided that hey, that person? Uh, really didn't do what they were accused of doing.
2: No. It never happened. And part of it, and I'm not I'm not taking credit for this, but at no time did I or the people working for me take this lightly. I mean my senior staff knew how important it was get our role in the justice system right and um they knew how i felt about it and they had the same feelings they did not want to be p- part of an error and so when we examined a case that came to us because it was ultimately going to be a death case we obviously took the time to really go back through the files through all the evidence that was presented to confirm in our own mind, the accuracy of the conviction. And if it weren't 100% accurate, we did something about it. I'm not gonna even name the cases, but there were probably three or four where based on conversation with my chief people, Jim Canepa was head of my criminal division. He's a very well-regarded criminal justice lawyer and public official um we would say no this is not one where we need to do that let's let's revert this case to life in prison without parole that's a step we had the right to take as the ag and we did
0: when somebody goes to the uh, governor and um you know asks for uh, the sentence to be um comminuted to uh, life instead of uh, a death uh what was what is the ag's role in that in what, what's the process, or what, what would the government, or excuse me, the governor look at uh, to make that you know, decision?
2: In my experience, and mine was just a couple of years of doing this, so I don't know what everybody else's, But it would be something, the governor would never have done anything about it without meeting with me first. And so, uh, if there was that type of information flowing to the governor, it was also flowing to me. In this case, governor and I would sit down and talk about it, and we did have those occasions. In fact, no execution occurred without the governor in the 19 executions I was involved in without the governor and I sitting down and talking.
0: You've, uh, you've told us that, uh, I guess, your position while you were in public uh, office was that the law... Under certain circumstances, called for the death penalty, and that's how you were able to justify your role in it. Uh, fast forward to today, if you were the governor, we still have the law on the books. Mm-hmm. You now have the ability to get somebody off of death row. Does your thinking change? No, I
2: think that's a good that's a good opportunity, and I think you know it, it, I don't. I think our governor right now has had a real history in the criminal justice system, probably more than any governor we've ever had. I mean, we've never had a governor who you know, spent much time in the criminal justice system as Mike DeWine. And so I think he also is someone who's extraordinarily careful. He and I, over the years, had a lot of discussions about this when we were both in office. And uh, we, we kind of came to some of the same conclusions in our work. There's
0: a lot of assault on the uh, idea of a death penalty from different angles, and I and I, and I know Jack and I uh, both applaud that, uh, doctors that refuse to administer the drugs, uh, drug companies that refuse to uh, provide the, the, the drugs. Um, what other things are happening that you are aware of where um, anybody is trying
2: to prevent this from, um, from happening? Well, there's a lot of advocacy against the death penalty, a lot of organizations, and that kind of advocacy, it's all over the country, basically, federal level, state level, some states, um, and you can kind of identify the regions that they might be in, but some states much less than other states terms of their 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 state-based support for the death penalty but in every case i think people are taking it very very seriously when i was in my early days of of lawyering it may not have been the case you know it was not um you know it was the law it was the law now it's taken very very seriously much more so And I know with our governor, who previously was the attorney general, um, he always took this whole thing extraordinarily seriously. We've had a lot of conversations about it over the years.
1: As we wrap up the podcast, do you have a parting message for the Ohio State representatives and senators who are facing this issue? Because there's a bill pending.
2: be honest, if I were to suggest anything from an advocacy standpoint to the members of the General Assembly, it would be the time has come where Ohio abandons the death penalty. Um, there will always be a risk of mistake. There is a much greater cost and a greater burden on the state to actually go through all of that. We are going to be far better off financially from a standpoint of what the cost is to the taxpayers. And from a standpoint of overall justice, if we, because there's, there's people who may have taken a human life and be convicted of a death penalty, but they may not have been at the same level of culpability as someone as else. There's always, there's always different factors involved. And so with all of that in mind, I think we've reached the stage where we need to repeal the death penalty in Ohio, and no longer have a capital punishment.
0: Jim, thank you for spending uh, time with us today and for your insight. Uh, it's certainly a life and death issue, <laughs> and um, I'm certainly glad to have you on the side of abolishing the death penalty.
2: Thank you, thank you. It's good to be with you, and I hope that 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 viewpoint continues to uh, to become the majority viewpoint, and ultimately we see an end to it in Ohio. There's no value to it.
1: My thanks to you as well, Jim.
2: Thank you very much. It's good being with you.
1: We'll be back uh, in a few weeks. We're going to be hearing from Jonathan Groner, who's been on the podcast before. He's a physician, and he'll be talking about gun violence from his very personal point of view as someone who has treated youngsters who have been the victims of gun violence. Until then, remember to lawyer up. So long.